Welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. I'm in our online studio with my friend Doug Ponder. Doug is a teaching pastor at Remnant Church in Richmond, Virginia. He's a professor of biblical studies at Grimke Seminary. Doug, thanks so much for joining us for this conversation on the YPT podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm glad to have you here. So we're going to be talking about seminary, about education. Um, is seminary so passe? Is it not worth it in the online age? Yeah. Um, and just kind of what is the benefit of formal education for youth workers? Uh, but before we dive into that, it's always fun to hear from our guests uh, from their teenage years. So, Doug, can you tell us a little bit about your first car, maybe first car accident or speeding ticket or uh, something to do with those early driving years? Yes. Oh, man. Well, let's see. I barely made it um, as a driver in my teen years. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. One is I found myself dating older girls when I was in high school. When I was a freshman, they had cars and uh, I couldn't have one yet. And so I got into that habit. And then I had a car taken away from me when I uh, didn't have the grades that I was, I was supposed to have. And it went to my brother instead. Oof. And then when I realized he had to pay for gas. I thought, well, I'll, I'll just I'll ride with him. And so, yeah, I didn't actually get it. I didn't get my first car until I was 19. Um, and when I did, I don't know if all the good ones were taken or if I just, you know, this is what I could afford, but for eight hundred dollars cash, I got a uh, nineteen ninety three uh, Chevy Cavalier uh, that was the color formerly known as red. It looked pink <laughs> in places yeah. where it had been peeling for a long time. The ceiling was drooping down on the inside, so I had to staple yes. it up uh, to keep to keep that from falling. The AC didn't work; hadn't worked mm -hmm. in God knows how long. At one point, the speakers blew in in the front so i had to put uh you know how you can mess with the fader yep. on the old dials yep. i had to throw the sound all the way to the back uh so it was back there so just get this vision of me <laughs> driving down the road in a car that used to be red but it's no longer that color the ceiling's drooping down it's stapled in places my windows are down because no ac and i've cranked the music very loud but it's only coming from the speakers in the back because they don't work in the front. And then the real killing blow uh, for this vehicle, the reason I had to finally get rid of it was uh, the front seatbelt broke. And so for about a year uh, in between when I got it inspected and when I had to get it inspected again, uh -huh. um, I, I had no, the, the seatbelt had no elasticity. You know how they withdraw? Yeah, yeah. They go back up. So the thing was just, just out there. six feet long like a limp noodle and all of its glory. <laughs> and so what I would do is I would, I would pull the e-brake up in the middle of the car. I would lasso the seatbelt around it three or four times. So the to cops get rid of the wouldn't slack. pull you over I, seeing that you had no That's exactly yeah. right. It would not save me in a million years <laughs> no if way. I was in an, an accident. No way. Uh, but it was so I wouldn't get pulled. And of course, it didn't pass inspection. And it had so many other things wrong with it at that point. It was, it was time to move on. But oh my that goodness. was my, my lovely, beloved first car. Uh, what sort of, um, you, did it have a cassette deck, right? So if it was a 93 yeah, cassette deck. It did. Yeah. So at first I used that ridiculous, uh, technology, which felt so cool at the time yep. where you would take a, um, uh, 
it looked like a cassette with a cord coming out of it. Connected Stick to it your, in, and you could to, to your disc. You man. put it into a, like a portable, mm-hmm. yeah, discman. And of course, every time you hit a bump, a pothole, did, it would. Skip did you and, have the shock absorber that like was supposed to and that was completely useless? I had one. I of didn't those on that. And it so was, yeah, it was not helpful. I did eventually pony up some money and, and replace the system with some CD uh, CD player, and that one was built in, and it did have a shock absorber, but. Um, I wasn't cool enough or rich enough to have like the multi CD oh, yeah. thing. This was the just CD one, changer in the back. Know? No, you yeah, remember that? No, I never had one of those either. <laughs> it was just one at a time. Please tell me so, that yeah, you had fuzzy days. dice in the oh, in the mirror. I didn't. No. Um, but it 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 didn't it it didn't need fuzzy dice to communicate <laughs> what kind of car it was. You saw it coming. I've just you know, I'm just, I remember picking I'm just up picturing a, a, this and thinking fuzzy dice really would have just put it over the top. Yeah, it was pretty special. I remember picking up a girl for a date in college, and um, I- I'm pretty sure 50% of the reason that we never went out a second time was the vehicle I picked her up in. That's but amazing. Whatever. I love that so much. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, yeah, your, your car, your first car and my first car would have gotten along pretty well. Um, Fantastic. That's another story. Um, Doug, <laughs> thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, thanks for your ministry. Uh, one of the reasons why I, I want to talk to you in particular about um, seminary and youth ministry and, and such is because you you teach at a seminary that has a pretty unique approach to uh, training the next generation of pastors. Um, I think that's really um, interesting to hear about. Um, so I want to hear a little bit about Grimke, Grimke and what makes um, their approach to seminary education um, kind of just a little bit different from the more traditional model of what we think about, uh, but also because you're still um, in pastoral ministry. And uh, I think that's one of the distinctives that that sets uh, Grimke apart. So could you just share a little bit about, um, about Grimke Seminary and about, yeah, what, 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 sets, what sets that approach yeah. different? Yeah. Um, you know, our, like an unofficial motto for our school is that we are training pastors uh, in, in the church, for the church, and, and by the church. Yeah. Or you might say w- with the church. Uh, one of the things, what that means, other than being a cool, you know, tripartite uh, <laughs> prepositional slogan. Yeah. Uh, what, what that means is that we, we think that the, the pastors in the local church should be a vital part of pastoral education and training. Uh, I see that in the New Testament when Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 writes, writes to uh, Timothy and tells him what you have seen uh, and, you know, and heard and received yeah. from me in trust or pass on to faithful men who are able to teach others also. So you have this example and this exhortation for Timothy to go and do the very sorts of things that Paul did. And that's not the only place Paul said that or did that. In Acts chapter 19, you see uh, Paul in the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, I think it's verses 8 and 9. But it, might, it might be verse 10 as well. And, and he's taking a group of men, disciples, some of whom would become pastors. Mm-hmm. And it says that he met with them every day for two years to give them instruction on uh, God's word, practical living, holiness, all those kinds of things, uh, so that they would be better formed to be disciple makers. And of course, that's something a pastor is right. and, and should be. Yeah. And so 
yeah, we just had this crazy idea of, well, what, what if we actually set up a seminary model that would enable that to happen? So we understand that not every pastor in every local church has the time, skills, knowledge uh, to fully train uh, a, a man for pastoral ministry in a way that you know he could undertake that by himself. Mm-hmm especially if he wasn't trained to do that himself when he went through seminary, right. you know, decades ago. Yeah. But uh, how can we be part of the solution instead of being uh, a model that maybe continues to contribute to the problem, yeah. even if only accidentally. Right. And so that that's what we've done. We've set up a, a model where people stay in their context and they study uh, independently, uh, you know, reading books and uh, maybe listening to, sermons and audio lectures and things like that and then they'll come to richmond twice a semester for in-person in-depth discussions with Mm -hmm. seasoned professors who are pastors all of our professors have been pastors for at least a decade and almost all of them are still serving in pastoral ministry Mm -hmm. so we write the assignments and we even give the lectures in such a way that everything is geared toward applied theology in a pastoral context yeah. or local church context. Yeah. Um, so your assignments are not going to be things like, please explain to me how the Qumran community of Essenes and the textual variant of 4QMME <laughs> yeah. uh, sheds light on ancient Near Eastern shepherding tactics and what that means for modern ministry. Right. That's not going to bless anybody including me, because I don't want to read that paper. Uh, so it's not anti-intellectual, right? It's just mm-hmm. properly focused uh, studies in the same way that when a man goes off to become a doctor, doesn't he have to spend a significant portion of his time and training yeah. in residency to become a practicing doctor, a doctor who practices medicine? And so the difference would be, imagine if every doctor we ever trained only spent time in the classroom. Imagine if they were all PhDs in medicine instead of MDs. Right. And unfortunately, that's very much what the situation in yeah. pastoral ministry looks like yeah. today. Instead of training men like we train doctors, which is what pastors are, we're physicians mm-hmm. of the soul, as the Puritans used to put it. Too often, we train them to be academics. Um, and then you have pastors who end up preaching sermons that smell like a library instead of smelling like the sheep. And that's a problem. Yeah. That's a really good way of articulating it. Um, so, so I know you just touched on it a little bit. Um, but what, what are, what are some of the, the benefits of the traditional seminary and MDiv model? Um, what are some of the, the good things about that, that we should not lose? And what are some of the shortcomings um, that that we shouldn't just bash and criticize. I think we've both seen a lot of conversations over Twitter in particular, really just kind of trashing seminary and calling it the cemetery. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, we don't want to do that here. Um, but what, what are some of the benefits and shortcomings of the traditional model? Yeah. I think maybe the first thing to say is I don't think it's possible or even desirable to turn back the clock to some earlier time 
as if to say that everything in the past was golden and wonderful and everything in the modern world is terrible. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. But I do think there have been some things that have been lost or significantly underemphasized in recent um, decades and maybe even centuries that desperately need to be recovered. Yeah, and so when you ask about the strengths and weaknesses of the traditional seminary model, uh, it's worth pointing out that at least it wasn't traditional in the New Testament. That wasn't the model at the time. Yeah. The model for seminary that we have now yeah. is based on the university system or university model of education that can trace its roots to uh, the Renaissance in Europe yep. and the growing specialization uh, that was made possible by different technological ad advances. That started in the late Middle Ages, the Renaissance, as I mentioned, and then it totally exploded uh, after the Industrial uh, Revolution. And, and, you know, the strengths of that kind of university model mm -hmm. where you have people who leave their homes, they go and study in a, in a, a faraway place with professors who are hyper experts, super specialized uh, folks. The strength is, of course, you're, you're going to get to study with somebody whose focused area of expertise is just hyper specific. Yeah. Um, one of the questions, though, that, that comes up here and maybe begins to highlight one of the weaknesses is that we only conceive of that as a strength if we lose sight of the question, well, what makes somebody an expert at training pastors? So not just an expert at Greek, mm -hmm. but an expert at training pastors to use Greek. Yes. Those are not necessarily the same sets of skills. Right. Like it, it, it can't just be that the best Greek professors are those who... Uh, could perfectly regurgitate for you the perfect passive paraphrastic construction in Ephesians 2.8, you know, you know, and then and then go on to wow you with some extreme grammatical nuances. I I, I don't think that's going to make the best Greek professor yeah. for training pastors. Right. Maybe for writing a book yeah. on the Greek language or something. Or to assess with Bible but, translation. Yes, 100%. Right? Yes. That's who so you want. But, what I don't want people... But not preaching the pulpit. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, what, I, what I don't want people to hear uh, or think that I'm saying is that we don't need experts, hyper-specialized experts. Mm -hmm. We do. Yeah. Um, we just don't necessarily need those uh, guys to be the ones who are training pastors. Right. Uh, and, and so uh, I would rather have somebody who can read a book by an expert, but then interpret or translate or explain for someone uh, what a language is for and how Greek or Hebrew uh, could be used to fulfill the double purpose of ministry, uh, pastoral ministry, which, according to Augustine, is to promote the love of God and the love of our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the, the dangers, maybe, uh, of the university system is that the more specialized education becomes, yeah. the more that students and professors may forget the goal of education. And when you forget the goal of something, you're going to lose sight of the appropriate means or ways of achieving it. And so one of the shortcomings of the current model is that the local pastor uh, becomes something of an afterthought. When you conceive of the ideal professor as the hyper expert, then the local pastor will never be seen as an expert. 
and therefore will not be a vital part of the training process, which is exactly the opposite of what Paul modeled for Timothy and encouraged him to go and to do likewise. And, and, and this is, a, I just need to say, this is not something unique to me yeah. or my school. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. uh, you know, we are the only people to recognize this and how wonderful we are. What a gift to God's world. That's ridiculous. In, <laughs> you alone are fact, solving this great challenge. Yeah, me yeah. and uh, what is it? Uh, Jeremiah said, and only I am left, right? <laughs> um, no, I, part of the whole reason that this we, this we started, the seminary that we started, was because there was an article that the Gospel Coalition ran about 10 years ago asking seminary presidents and high-level professors all across America, different denominations, different seminaries, asking presidents and professors, if you could change one thing about seminary, what would you change? You know, and a couple of the answers are duds, total duds. They, they, they said hopelessly modern things like, we need more cross-pollination and whatever buzzwords were popular in 2013 yeah. or 14, yeah. whenever the article was written. But a couple of the seminary presidents, to their great credit, dared to name the elephant in the room. And they said, you know what we really need, above all, is to give more than lip service to the role of the local pastor in the formation and training of the next generation of pastors for pastoral yeah. ministry. Yeah. And as I read that, I thought, that's right. Mm -hmm. we, that is the right answer. Yeah. The only question is, Will we do it? Right, and so that's what we did. We didn't. We didn't want to create a school where people sat in front of screens all day. We already mm -hmm. do enough of that. So no mm -hmm. more online entertainment screens all day. And neither did we want to have guys that had to uproot their lives and move across the world. I'm glad that schools like that exist. There are certain people who yeah. need to go there and become the kind of super specialized experts that we were talking about. But maybe in a perfect world, uh, you could have some model where. The local pastor was able to do a significant part of the training, and then you were able to partner with him to fill in the gaps of whatever he, he might not be able to do, or to provide some of the academic yeah. content that then he's working with uh, the men in his church in pastoral training uh, to better understand and apply in their specific context. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few things that I think are really helpful in what. Uh, the approach that you're that you're laying out there, um, I I went to seminary um, in the early 2000s. Um, Wi-Fi still hardly existed, right? I mean, the only people who had computers in the classroom were just using their laptops with no internet because Wi-Fi <laughs> wasn't really a thing. Um, yeah. So remote seminary wasn't an option, and I'm grateful for that. I I really. Um, I, I do think that there, there is something lost when you have a seminary degree and have never seen your professors face-to-face, -face, right? And, and that the other students face-to-face, -face. um, that, that there is something unique about kind of embodied learning together. Um, at the same time, I, I really appreciate the way that on distance learning, um, makes, makes training and education accessible for people for whom it would otherwise not be an option. Correct. And I, I don't think that we need to 
um, draw really firm and definitive black and white lines, kind of lambasting and criticizing one model over the other. Um, and so I, I think this is a really helpful way to, to make training um, accessible in a way that is more structured than just like a, a church-based program. Sometimes I, th- I think a lot of churches do have, are increasingly having some sort of training program in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not always confident about the academic rigor um, or, or depth of some of those programs. So I, I think this, this seems like more than that. So c- could you just uh, briefly, before we move on, uh, talk a little bit about um, like church-based programs that you've experienced and witnessed. Uh, what makes a, a good church-based training program and how is, how is Grimke different from yeah, kind of just question. like a, a, a church-based cohort ministry program? Well, I'll say this. Uh, I, I don't know of very many churches that, that were doing anything like this, um, even as recently as five years ago when we began laying some of the foundations for um, what would later become, become our seminary. Yeah. I will say that my own church developed one, but out of necessity. We had two young men who came to us, uh, me and the, the other pastor at the time, and uh, they said, we sense God may be calling us into ministry, but we're not at a place in our life where we can uproot, move across the country, mm-hmm. go to school somewhere. And as you said, we're old, so we didn't. Online education didn't <laughs> exist. Yeah. Um, and, and even if it did, there just there just are, there are weaknesses there. Right. But like you said, the, the strengths are it's much cheaper and more convenient. Nobody denies that. But the weaknesses are in a society where everybody's on screens all day long. Uh, maybe the last thing they need is a couple more hours of screens. Yeah. And it also can miscommunicate. I think what education is, mm-hmm. but maybe that's another, yeah. maybe that's another yeah. conversation for later. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, so these men came to us and, uh, we said, well, I guess we can, we can try to train you. We'll give you what somebody gave us and we will walk with you through that. And so we, we would have them read books, uh, and we would meet with them for several hours, uh, uh, on Sundays and in the afternoons. And, and we would, talk about the books they were reading, mm-hmm. make sure they understood the concepts, and then press toward application. We made sure they were serving somewhere in the in the church and that we were overseeing their roles of service so we could give them feedback. We had annual reviews where we could talk with them about things they were we saw. There yeah. were places where they were growing yeah. and places where they needed to continue to grow. And uh, after three years of doing that, uh, the, uh, we had an ordination process and, you know, not... Not um, not every church is as structured as that, right. as you said. Yeah, but but we we, we uh, like I said, we're not anti-intellectual. We do, we don't we don't want to uh, remove the ability for these pastors to do what the scriptures tell them to do. They say that we have to be able to teach, that we have to know God's word well enough that we can hold fast to it and contradict or refute those who contradict it. Yeah, Titus one nine. And I just don't know how you're able to do that if you don't know it very well. Right. And so that was uh, one of our, our desires. And when we started Grimke, we, we said, well, how can we help churches that maybe couldn't do that on their own, but still involve the pastor in that process? And so uh, 
what that normally looks like is a student is a has to be it's a requirement of our school yeah. every enrolled student is in an internship or mentorship or coaching or apprenticeship relationship with either their pastor or if for some reason they're already serving in a church as a pastor and maybe yeah. they're the only pastor that's not ideal but that does happen yeah um we can set them up with a coach right where they are regularly talking with someone who is involved in their life, knows them, yeah. knows their strengths and weaknesses, and is able to communicate uh, with them about uh, what they're seeing in them, where they need to grow, uh, things that the Lord is doing, as well as uh, you know, very specific and pointed conversations that go far beyond what you could ever do in a classroom yeah. with so many students. That This is a situation that's one-on-one with somebody who knows you, who loves you, and is able to actually give you that kind of specific feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. So, okay, so I, I can envision um, some people who are listening to the podcast, maybe if, if they haven't been to seminary and they're not interested, then they've already tuned out. But in case that's you and you're still listening, this question is for you, right? So, uh, Doug, why bother, right? Like, if, if I'm already serving in, in student ministry, um, I'm being mentored by my senior pastor, and I have Amazon, right? So I can buy books. I have YouTube, so I can find videos. I have a phone, so I can listen to podcasts. Why bother with seminary in the first place? That, that's honestly a fair question. Uh, uh, but I would say that a good deal of that probably depends on the kind of person that we're talking about. The truth is that the number of people who possess the ability and the discipline to teach themselves everything that they need to know just from reading books and listening to podcasts, that is an exceedingly small number of people. And in fact, I found that most of the people who seem to be quite convinced that they are among that number are almost certainly not. Uh, and so that is uh, one way to think about how you can answer that question is that the vast majority of people are not what we call autodidacts. They're not good self-learners and self-teachers. Yeah. Um, and, and that makes sense. There's a reason why the scriptures say in Ephesians 4 that one of the gifts that God gives to his people through the Holy Spirit is the gift of pastors and teachers, which means that teaching and teachers are a gift from the Lord to the church that they're needed. And you think about Acts 8, the eunuch, he's reading the Bible. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And what does he say? Oh, of course I do, because I am an autodidact. No, he says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? So the Bible assumes that the vast majority of people need someone to guide them, that we're not very good at guiding ourselves. And if you do try to guide yourself, what normally happens is this. You end up focusing on the kinds of things you like to listen to, that you like to read, instead of the kinds of things you need to read. And so my favorite sort of analogy or illustration for what that looks like is it's like the guy who loves to bench press but hates leg day. (laughs) The problem is he's not going to be a very well-formed athlete If he's incredibly strong in his upper body and his legs are just wimpy, tiny, puny little things. And that's something like that happens with the vast majority of people 
who say, well, I've got books, I've got podcasts, I'll just, I'll just teach myself. Well, sure, but probably you will gravitate toward the things you enjoy and you're going to end up as the pastoral equivalent of the guy who skipped leg day for years. And um, so there's that. And there's one more thing I think I would say, uh, which is this. That whole understanding, that question assumes that what education is, is simply the transfer of information into your brain. And that really is the most sinister assumption uh, that, that is at the core of much of modern education. Education is not simply about the transfer of information. Uh, it's really more uh, enculturation, which means a transfer of a way of life. And the reason why so many pastors, even pastors who graduate seminary, end up failing out of seminary, I mean, not failing out of seminary, sorry, but failing out of ministry, it's not because they didn't have enough information, but because they didn't practice what it is that they learned, or because the kind of education they received wrongly tricked them into thinking that maturity in the faith is equivalent to your knowledge in the faith. And that's just not true. Yeah. And so I, I, I would say that there's that really sinister assumption, that dangerous assumption that, well, I'll just read books and listen to podcasts. Well, sure, but you, you better have somebody who knows you well enough, loves you deeply enough to call you out in areas where you desperately need to grow, to highlight blind spots that you do not or maybe cannot see, and who can help enculturate you in pastoral life, which is so much more than just information. You know, there's a, a guy in 1978, his name was E.O. Wilson. He said that we are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. Mm. Now, if he said that in 1978, before the arrival of the so-called information <laughs> age, yeah, how much truer yeah. are his words today? That's true. And, and so I would say, you know, what you really need is not more information, but the proper emphasis on the most important information. And the practiced embodiment of that information, all of which is overseen by the right people in the right contexts. And that normally means a flesh and blood mentor, somebody in your life who can do what David, the late David Pallison called imbalanced ministry. Imbalanced ministry, meaning he could properly emphasize whatever it is that you most need to hear because you're missing so that you don't skip leg day forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. That is rock solid. Um, yeah, I have so many thoughts about that. that that's really, really well said. Um, one of my favorite professors uh, from Gordon-Conwell's, uh, Garth Rosell, he was a church history professor. And he, he said that the larger the island of knowledge, the longer the shoreline of ignorance. And that yeah. always stood um, that always stuck with me because it, it really is just that whole, you really don't know what you don't know. And sometimes the more, you know, yeah, the more big... you discover how ignorant you really are. Um, yeah, so. sure. All right. So, so Doug, you've, you've, um, you've convinced me. Okay. So, um, now, uh, now I'm interested in seminary. Um, 
but I'm still doing ministry. I don't really want to leave my church, but I'm persuaded. Where do I go next? How do I how do I process seminary, no seminary, finances, ministry, distance learning, different school models? Um, where do I go from here? Yeah, that you know, um, if if we lived in a perfect world, which I know we don't, but if we did, then you the best thing to do would be to go to your pastor senior pastor, lead pastor, pastor for discipleship. I, I, I don't know what what your listeners' church situations are like, yeah. and they're probably all not identical, right? But yeah. you would go to the pastor in your church and say, I either sense God's calling uh, into pastoral ministry, and I want the preparation, the training that's necessary to do that. Or maybe you're like a, you know, if we were using the medical illustration earlier of, of the doctor and the kind of training that he would receive, you know, sometimes on the frontier, people found themselves as the village doctor without a lot of training, Yeah, you know? And yeah. so they were doing the best they could, and they really were a doctor, but uh, they also probably made a significant number of mistakes that could have been avoided uh, and maybe even hurt people that could have been healed uh, if they'd had better training. So the question is, how, how do you get it, even if you're already serving as the, the village pastor, right, right the village right. doctor? And so in a perfect world, there would be another doctor in, in your town yeah. that you could go and study with. You could be his apprentice. You could uh, learn from him and all of that. And so I think maybe the first thing I would say is uh, look around. If the pastors in your church are good men who love the Lord, know God's word, are doing great uh, ministry, they're not just good at teaching God's word, but embodying it, right? As examples to the flock, the apostle Peter says, yeah. um, then go and sit at his feet for several years, but make it clear that you're doing this. Don't just like, you know, don't be a stalker, right? a watcher, <laughs> a voyeur, right? Go and say, hey, listen, I, I, I want to sit at your feet for several years and then read what he reads. Yeah, Read it with him. Say, what are you reading? I want you to send me what you're reading, everything you're reading. I'm going to read it with you. And then we can, can we talk about it? Watch how he lives serve with him or alongside him wherever he serves okay and as you do that you will be better equipped for pastoral ministry even better equipped than some guys with two seminary degrees but no real mentorship apprenticeship model training nevertheless as i said at the start i know we don't live in a perfect world it's not even close so some people may find themselves in churches where if they're honest uh they 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 don't serve with men or under men who uh, would be able to train them in the ways that they should. Maybe those guys themselves are like village doctors, yeah. or village pastors, yeah. and you're thinking, I think I need more than that. I see the need for more than that. And so that's where pursuing a formal seminary education can be helpful. Um, I, I think that the truth is a seminary is like a Band-Aid or a crutch, uh, you only need a Band-Aid and a crutch if something's gone wrong. But once something has gone wrong, you kind of do need it, uh, at least in order until it's right again. Yeah. So some of the professors I serve with, we jokingly say that, uh, well, it's not. It's only half jokingly. The half, it, we're serious, but we also recognize this won't be achieved in our lifetime. But the long-term goal is to fill the churches in the world with pastors of such caliber that they would be capable of doing what Paul did with Timothy and teaching and training the men who've been entrusted to their care to be the pastors 
uh, of the churches that they're part of. But unless and until that happens, the, the crutch might be needed, the band-aid might be needed. And so your question was, well, how, how, do, we, how do we start to figure out which one might be good? Um, that's a great question. And I, I would just say simply this, find a seminary that takes 2 Timothy 2.2 seriously. Find a seminary that takes 2 Timothy 2.2 seriously, where Paul instructed Timothy to pass on what he learned and seen and heard from Paul to others who were able to train others. Find a school that takes that seriously. And that's not just my school, right? This whole thing has not been one long commercial for Grimke Seminary. I mean, we do do that. It's literally why we started our school with the model that we did. But yeah. praise God, we're not the only ones. So yeah. look for seminaries that actually care about the pastor in the local church and do what they can to involve that man in the education process in some way, shape, or form. And if you can't find one, that meets your budget or your your needs or something that does that, then learn what you can from that school, but supplement everything that it's lacking. Go to your pastor and say, hey, listen, you know, you know, this is the best I can do. And yet I recognize it's missing your input and your oversight. And I would love for you to be part of that educational process. I want to do, I want you and me to do what Paul told Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 2.2. Can we do that together? Um, and and you can go from there. Yeah, and, and I would add to that that if um, uh, like what you're saying, if if the best you can do is to enroll in a fully online program that's affordable and that is attainable for you, it it would be better for you um, to take one fewer class per semester in order to have some intentional time with your pastor. Um, or with another um, theologically mature mentor uh, to have kind of an unofficial class or an unofficial mentorship with that pastor or um, you know supervisor and to take an extra semester to graduate. Uh, but you have in-person mentoring happening because you're intentionally taking one fewer class in order to prioritize that commitment. So if you if you can only do an online degree program, it would be better to take one less class and make sure that you have some sort of personal pastoral mentoring oversight discipleship happening. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Doug, I have so many more questions. Um, I, I have questions about um, scholarship, right? And um, what do the the what do the PhD academics do and what role is them for them in Christian institutions? Um, if, if LL seminaries go in this direction, uh, it, it, there's a, a whole big can of worms, right? That, that needs to be unfolded and really dug into into the, the systemic uh, struc- infrastructure of Christian education mm-hmm. and seminary programming mm-hmm. and training and, um, how does anyone ever go into um, theological, uh, real the deep weeds of theological studies, um, if everything is is church based, right? So th- there are. I, I just want to acknowledge and voice there are remaining questions uh, that I, I think need to be um, worked through and addressed. But I think this has been really helpful 
uh, for the nitty-gritty of people who are called to pastoral ministry, people who are called to church-based ministry, who want more training and development. And so that's been uh, really the, the main focus here. And I, I think this has been really, really helpful. So there's lots more I want to talk about with you about this, but time is what time is. So last question. Um, for for students who who are currently in seminary or who are preparing for seminary, because it's still kind of the beginning-ish of the academic year, um, what would you encourage them for their own soul? Um, how can yeah. they get the most out of their seminary education? Um, not academically, but but spiritually, because I know many many of us uh, have had a, a very difficult private spiritual time in seminary. It was very good for us biblically and theologically and all that. Um, but for the the yeah. seminary students and the, the minister's soul. Um, how can we tend and keep our own soul, keep our heart while in seminary and pursuing formation? Yeah, the shortest, maybe the shortest answer I could give uh, to someone like that is keep your eyes fixed on what Jesus said is eternal life. Jesus said, knowing God is eternal life. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you know God. That's not the way to eternal life. That's not the path to eternal life. It's not the key to unlocking eternal life. Jesus said, that is eternal life. And therefore, if you recognize that eternal life is knowing the God who made you for himself and redeemed you for himself, then you will be less at risk of losing sight of why you're doing what you're doing. Because the great lie in all education, really, but especially in theological education, is that you are learning information and skills to get better at a job. That's not true. Because pastors will be out of a job in the new heavens and the new earth. We do not need shepherds of souls when the great shepherd of our soul is sitting on the throne, right? Mm -hmm. And we are with him forever in a perfect world. In, in glory. We, we don't need that. We don't need our jobs forever. Therefore, your job, your, your training, your education is only of value in as much as you keep your eyes fixed on the ultimate goal of all knowledge and learning, which is to know the God for whom to know is eternal life. To say all of that another way, Walker Percy, in one of his novels, talked about a guy who got all A's and still flunked life. Mm-hmm. And my 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 plea with people who are in seminary or thinking about seminary is don't let that be you. Yeah. Don't get all A's yeah. and still flunk life. Uh, remember the goal of eternal life. Remember the goal of learning, which is to know the God that Jesus said just to know him is eternal life. Mm-hmm. And, and one more quote I'll throw at you. Yeah. I had this quote penned to my Twitter profile because it's that meaningful to me. I think it's a lesson that took me years to learn, too long. But I, I, and I, even now, I'm still learning it. But uh, David Wells, one of my favorite authors, um, in your neck of the woods, Gordon yep. Conwell, yep, I had David that. Wells yeah. said, God is not like the periodic table. He's not a quantity that can be mastered, though he can be known. And though God has revealed himself with clarity, 
This is the important part. The depth of our understanding of God is measured not by the speed our theological knowledge is processed, but by the quality of our determination to own God's ownership of us through Jesus Christ Mm. in thought, word, and deed. In other words, maturity is not about how much we grow in our knowledge of God, but in how much we grow in our determination to own the fact that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We belong to the Lord. It is great to belong to someone like him. Amen. Uh, I think that's a great word to end on. So, uh, Doug, thanks for your ministry. Thanks for your friendship. Um, If anyone uh, out here wants to reach out and uh, talk to you, get to know you a little bit more, how could could listeners find you online? Yeah, uh, they could find me on Twitter, just at Doug Ponder. Um, I tweet about uh, biblical theology and anthropology, sexuality, and other issues that are critically important in this time and place. So they can find me there, uh, or they could they can send me an email if they like. Uh, my seminary email is my name, Doug Ponder at Grimke. That's G R I M K E dot org, and I'd be happy to to hear from people that way as well. Wonderful. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Doug, and thanks listeners for listening in. Thank you for your ministry. I really want to encourage you to grow in your uh, biblical and theological depth as you serve students, knowing that our calling as youth workers is not to make teenage disciples. Our calling as youth workers is to make adult disciples whose faith took root during the teen years, and that requires theological reflection, theological conversations. And so uh, we can't really do that if we ourselves are theologically unformed and biblically ignorant. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. YPT's mission is to empower youth workers to pursue theological depth because we're committed to inviting students into a faith that's big enough to grow into. You can learn more about the ministry and other resources we offer at youthpastortheologian.com, and you can find us on most social media at Youth Theologian.